This is 14 Employee Engagement. I am Josh Green, joined with Alexander Norin, my co-horse. And we have a wonderful guest today. This is Jason Lauritsen. Jason is a global speaker, author, and employee engagement expert. He helps companies adapt workplace culture and performance management strategies. A former corporate human resource executive himself, Jason has dedicated his career to helping leaders build organizations that are good for both people and profits. Jason, how are you today? I am outstanding. Thanks for having me. I love these conversations. We love them as well, and we're so grateful that you're joining us. I just have one question for you. We are trying to get a good understanding on what is employee engagement. That is, uh, that is an awesome and important question. Great place to start. For me, the way I define engagement, or at least currently where I'm at in my thinking, is that engagement's the degree to which an employee is both willing and able to perform to their potential. And so that's, that's, that to me is the, is the bottom line. And I think where so many definitions of engagement go off course is they're not connected back to performance. And so, so that's where I am. That's what I think it is. And that's how I think, um, that's how I advise people to think about it. That's incredible. And, and one of the things to me that stands out in that definition is this idea of uh, performing to their potential. Why is that so important to the definition? Well, I think... I think I've, I've found it comical that we've, we've gotten so enamored with this idea of discretionary effort, right? When you talk to people about engagement, my bet is that when you're talking, when you've done these other podcasts, that even people that have much bigger, bigger brains than me, um, when you ask them to, to nail, you know, nail it down to a definition, they come back to this idea of discretionary effort. And for a long time, I've, I've thought like, what the hell is discretionary effort? And why, why would I care about, I mean, discretionary effort doesn't make any sense to me. That sounds like, um, that sounds like something that was created to sell executives on spending money on tools and consulting, as opposed to some sort of real thing. And so in my mind, that's not, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want to create a workplace where people are, where it's a transactional thing, where it's a contract based relationship where I'm saying, well, uh, you know, I'm going to pay you for X amount of effort, but then I'm going to try to do things to coerce you into giving more than that discretionary that I'm not going to pay you for or compensate you for. And, and I, that feels very weird to me. I, I, and I think that's part of what's been wrong. And so in my in my mind, it's about, I want to create a place. If, if we're going to create a work experience or a workplace or an experience of work, it should be a place where I can come and be my best and feel good about all of that. Feel good about my contribution. Feel good about how I'm rewarded for that contribution, that it sort of makes me feel whole and, um, and excited about work as opposed to it being this sort of game of who can get the most or con the most out of the other party in a, in a transactional kind of game-based setup. And so that's why I think it's important. I think it should be about helping people be the best. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's interesting about, about that concept of almost like a bartering system, right, in, in the workplace is that's not that, that's, that's where we've been for so long, right? I mean, you, you turn the clock back, couple of decades and it was very much a a situation where you show up to work you get paid to do your job if you do your job we will grace you with continued employment you know right. a employers held all of the uh 
held, held the stick there, you know, and, and as we've, as we've kind of come up into this, this new age, I think where technology and the market and just the evolution of the, of the workplace is such that, you know, we, people can move around a lot. We can, we can shift, we can, we can try to find different and better, better places to work that if we, if we stick with this, ideology of hey uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna swap here i give you money you do something else and then like you said even if we try to mask it with that flavor of oh and i'm also gonna try to sweeten the deal with uh things that don't cost me very much but will hopefully get more value out of you as the employee uh that's the same logic and that's not going to fix the problem and so I, i love this idea that you've you've brought brought today this idea of helping people be their best you know people people enjoy excelling would you agree? Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's what people want to do. Well, I think I th- in, in what you said, there's a couple of big ideas that, um, that are central to what I talk about when I'm talking about this issue, talking about engagement and experience. I write a lot about it in the book is that the, the transactional nature of work that you talked about actually goes back to the beginning of work um, mm-hmm. from the, you know, the, the dawn of the industrial era when we created sort of the, the seeds for modern management were sown. Mm-hmm. We, you know, work really got, and, and this was sort of as we were sorting out how to make work something that was tolerable or, or um, you know, safe and healthy for people, at least at some level, it was the rise of unions and the birth of the labor contract that sort of gave birth to how we organize work. And then everything else kind of got built around that. And this idea of work as a contract came into our thinking and came into our model. And that is, has perpetuated for a century. And we still today see that all the time. And that's really what you're talking about. Um, and, And what I was hinting at is that that's how most organizations are still treating it. I'm going to offer you a paycheck in exchange. Here's this job description with a list of things I'm going to hold you accountable to. And then I have all these other processes designed around enforcing compliance with that contract to make damn sure that we as the employer are getting our money's worth out of this. And then we have this other program called engagement where I'm also going to try to trick you into giving me more than what I'm paying for in the contract model. It's just a weird thing. And the problem is, all of the employee engagement data that we have from the last 20 years points at the fact that employees don't experience work as a contract. They experience work more like a relationship, that they want to be valued, feel valued and trusted and cared for and appreciated. And, um, you know, it's love is what it is. We want to feel loved and cared for. And that's what compels us to, to do more and be more. And that's a very different thing than a contract. And so I think that's, that's the point in time where we're at is we've, I think we've kind of, when we talk about being human at work or the human workplaces, I think that's really what we're, we're talking about is we've recognized that this is more about a, it's a relationship with the organization, but yet our organizations are still trying to treat work like a contract. And there's a real tension in there that we're trying to resolve. I think that's the work and the point we're at in the evolution. Jason, I think you just outlined the problem so perfectly. And it's really interesting when we talk about all of this data and all of the numbers that are going into it, and especially since engagement numbers are still abysmally low, and to draw it back to a relationship and to love that sounds fluffy, Yep. but it is so absolutely necessary because if I'm an employee and I'm going to be spending a majority of my life at a desk with this company, it better be a place where I get along with the individuals, I feel like I'm treated fairly, and that I'm rewarded properly. 
Yeah, there's no question about it. And I, you know, the, the, it's funny, this business, I think it, I think it can be made to connect back. I mean, there's, if we're measuring the right things through our survey and we were designing our surveys the right way and actioning the data in the right way, it actually, you can take the fluffy and connect it back to the performance and the hard numbers that everybody wants to see. But I also think, you know, at the end of our lives, when we look back at the stuff that we wish we had done more of and the things that really mattered, none of it's, it's all fluffy. It's all hard to measure. Um, and so no one wants to look back and say, Hey, I accomplished a huge uh, checklist of things. Yeah, man. I discretionary efforted my ass off, (laughs) you know, I like, that's not, you know, it's not, it's not. And so that doesn't mean you shouldn't measure it or you shouldn't start with that. But I think you have to be clear about what actually matters and what the, we've been going at it backwards, right? Whereas if we started with an understanding that this is, it's a relationship. And so, we need to be designing the work experience to feel like a healthy relationship and designing with a different set of design principles or design guidelines in mind as we create work experience. And then we can measure whether we're actually accomplishing those things in a way that helps us also quantify whether that's contributing to performance and outcomes that we care about. So I think, I think we've been coming at it the other direction and that's where we've gotten off track. You're absolutely right. And so maybe on that vein, tell us a little bit about where companies go wrong with their employee, employee engagement strategies and maybe what is some practical advice that our listeners can walk away with? That's, that's a great question. Well, I think where where companies go wrong with employee engagement strategies is they fail to recognize that employee engagement itself is a, it's a measurement. And so, you know, you don't hear, I mean, do you hear companies talking about, um, you know, it would sound ridiculous if I said, you know, we have a profit strategy and you're like, you have a what strategy? It's like, well, profit. And it's like, well, profit isn't a strategy. Profit's a measurement of, of how you're executing on, you know, your sales and marketing, you know, revenue generation strategies. Like you have strategies to do that, to accomplish those things. And then you also have, you know, operational strategies. And then sort of the gap between that is the profit that you're making. That's an, that's a measurement. Like you're, you're too far downstream when you're thinking about a strategy for profit, you need to move way back upstream. And I, and so I, I, the advice that I, would offer is that you know engagement is a measurement it's an outcome what drives engagement is the the experience that we create or that employees have every single day and so it's it's getting to really you know i think it's it's thinking about what kind of experience are we trying to create what kind of experience do we need to create in order to you know create not only the you know the the employee experience but to fuel the customer experience that we are, are trying to manifest in our organization to live up to our values, to do business in the right kind of way or the way that we intend, how do we, what do we need to do to make sure that employees are having that experience every day? Um, whether that's in the conversations they're having with their managers, the interaction, the tools that they have available to them, the way that work feels to them, the way that their, their, their workplace feels to them, all of those things create these moments of truth every day that either reinforce what you're trying to create or not. And so I think if, if we, from a strategy perspective, started thinking about 
how do we design and create the kind of experience that will fuel what we're trying to accomplish, then, then you'd use engagement essentially to measure whether you're being successful at that. That's what engagement is, is a measurement of how well are we creating the expectation that we intended to create um, towards creating the outcomes that we need to create to be successful as an organization. So that it's get upstream. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. You, you explained, uh, you, you mentioned this idea of, of an experience. Um, and, you, you know, the, the, the idea of a company culture comes to mind, this kind of buzzword that I, I personally am not a huge fan of. It, it, it's almost too, um, it's too popular these days and, and almost, in my opinion, means nothing because people always, you know, try to talk around this culture aspect. And I, I don't know, how, how would you relate the two? Are, is, this, is this your, your word for company culture in this experience or are there some key distinctions or is it the next level of the company culture is an experience or how would, how would we tie those two uh, terms together? You know, company culture is another, is another of those terms that, that this is representative of a major problem I think we have when it comes to the work of, you know, both leadership and human resources, you know, the, the creating the workplace or the, the, the work environment is that we use words without definition, mm-hmm. um, assuming everybody talks about it the same way. So I don't think culture is necessarily a bad word if you define it the right way. Um, so, but I do think, I do think the point is a good one that, that I think culture probably needs to be defined more clearly in the context of, of employee experience. Those two things are very similar. I tend not to talk a lot about culture. Um, in my work, I talk about the sort of the linkage between, I mean, the language that I use tends to be focused in the realm of employee experience and um, performance motivation and how that impacts then um, the employee's degree of engagement, you know, how willing and able they are to meet their performance potential. And so, so I think, I, but I think culture, generally speaking, if I were to use it, would probably be sort of, um, would be used to describe probably that our intentions related to the experience that we create um, on a day-to-day basis for employees. That's, that's, I couldn't agree more. And, and that's, and that's my issue with the idea of culture is that that's where people stop. I think, I think uh, organizations, they try to tackle this culture problem. And whenever I hear that, I, I think of, um, I think of an organization bringing in a ping pong table and throwing up some snacks and uh, you know, letting people wear jeans and they say, Oh my gosh, look at our great culture. And, and, and it's like, well, you did some stuff and that it's not bad stuff. It's good stuff. But, what have you done to, in your words, enhance the employee experience? Um, and that's, you know, I, I think that, I think that uh, as a whole organizations try to pat themselves on the back saying, look, look how good we've done. Uh, but in reality, they haven't really done enough to see any, any change. Well, and I think that's where we, when you aren't, when you aren't focused on performance and this is where this sounds kind of very it almost sounds sometimes when they talk people will talk about focus on performance and outcomes and it feels cold and removed from the things like culture and experience and I think that I don't think that is at all the case because performance is the reason any organization exists if, if you aren't if you don't have a performance imperative 
you don't need in an organization, right? We exist to create value for someone else. Whether if you're a nonprofit, you exist to create value for your the communities you serve. If you're a business, you exist to create some kind of value through product or service for people who will pay you for that. If you don't need to, if you don't have a performance imperative, you don't you don't need an organization. And so you have to be connected to that. And so I can create, I can create great experiences that people will enjoy, but that experience has to move me towards a willingness and ability to perform um, in a way that contributes to meeting that performance imperative. Otherwise it doesn't, you know, it's not a constructive investment in, in experience or culture. And so I think, I, I think you're right. A lot of times people just aren't, they're not clear on why they're not clear on, you know, the intention and that, that con connectivity between uh, why are we putting in the ping pong table? Because in some cases putting in that ping pong table might be exactly the right thing to do. Right. In other cases, it's, it's not because you don't understand what your employees need and what you're trying to accomplish and, and the, the experience you're trying to manifest for, for people. And so, so I think it's it, a lot of times it boils down to just not doing the hard work of getting clear about your intentions and understanding how you create performance in your organization. Um, and w because when you do, a lot of this becomes more simple. That's right. And I think the simplicity of tracking performance is let's create a list of to-dos and have our employees check them off as they go along. And that system is so antiquated. It just... Right. There are so many employees who just do the bare minimum or they find ways to get around the to-dos or they don't feel valued. And so it's just really interesting to me that your book coming out is called Unlocking High Performance, that it's not about checking boxes. It's about something deeper than that. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, that's, I think that's the conversation we're having today is really about how do we create how do we create a work experience in our organization? How do we sustainably create an experience for employees that invites them to give their best, to be their best, and to be their best in the way that the organization needs them to be their best, right? To work towards that performance imperative, whatever that is for our organization. And so the, the way that I approach this, and the reason I wrote the book and we we positioned it the way we did right now is that I, I do think we all agree that performance appraisal, traditional performance management, the way we've been, um, we, the way we've been doing it, like you just described is very broken, doesn't accomplish really any of the goals it was designed to accomplish. And so we needed something different. And I think in that opportunity, in that void, as we are trying to sort out what to do next, there's this opportunity to build a system. And in the book I call it, um, I describe it as a performance management system, which is a a truly a series of processes that's about creating an employee experience that supports employees in living up to their or being able to perform at their potential. So it falls into, you know, it's things like, um, well, I break it into three buckets. It's processes related to expectations, um, processes, um, or which I call planning processes related to motivation, which I motivation and some other things, which I call cultivation and then processes connected to accountability, um, and not accountability in the punitive sense, but accountability in that we are mutually committed to achieving the same things. And so when you build all of those processes together, um, th those same processes show up in any sort of healthy relationship. So bringing it back, 
to the relationship construct. Mm -hmm. When we have a healthy relationship, that all shows up. And when we assume the best of the other person, then, and I assume, you know, this connects back to a comment that, that uh, Alexander, you made earlier, which was, you know, when we assume people want to perform at their best, and I've never met someone who doesn't want to be successful when given the opportunity and the support to do so, it's amazing how things change and what's required to make that happen changes because you just need to get out of their way and make sure they understand where they're going and what needs to be accomplished and that they have your support to do so. You know, it seems like a, a daunting task, right, for an organization to who, you know, medium-sized enterprise has a few hundred individuals employed and each of them being unique people, right? How do we, how do organizations gather the information necessary to craft and promote a experience that will enable employees, unique employees, unique people uh, to excel in their own, in their own way? Wow. I don't, I don't know that I can, I can answer that in a, in a quick way today. <laughs> Fair enough. Because that's that question, question. That, that's the question I right. tried to answer with like 80,000 words in my book. So uh, <laughs> okay. what, I, what I would say is I'll give you two quick things that sure. I think are, are right. really important. One is that this is about first getting really clear. I, you know, I'm going to hit this again, but it's getting first clear about your intentions and it's engaging with employees in the conversation about what kind of experience that is needed in order to facilitate this. I think sometimes we overlook the fact that, you know, the employees, I mean, they're, they want to participate. They want to have a good experience. So you can engage them in a conversation on an ongoing basis. It's kind of like you do in any other relationship. Like, you know, at first, maybe it's not going to be perfect, but as long as we're in a conversation and we're both making adjustments and we're calibrating, it continues to get better um, over time. And so I think you have, but you have to start with your intentions. What kind of, what kind of experience are we intending to create? And then making sure everybody knows that so that they can provide feedback when it either is or isn't happening. So if I'm not, if, if, if you're telling me you want me to have a really um, energizing experience of work every day and I'm walking out feeling drained and not getting any energy from work, then I need to let somebody know that we need to have a conversation about how to fix that. So right. without the intentions that that's problematic. I think the other is being in that, that constant conversation and feedback, sure. right. And just being open and listening and, and being in the, in the process with all employees. And that requires that you have to be teaching your supervisors and managers how to have conversations on an ongoing basis. It's probably one of the most important things um, that you can do. Yeah. It seems, um, it seems like it's a, a little tough, right. For organizations that, um, you know, if, if you, if you, <laughs> it's almost a chicken and the egg scenario, right. If, if you have, if you have issues with this sort of stuff, uh, you're probably less inclined to uh, start opening up communication, but you have to open up communication in order to fix it. And uh, yeah, that's, that is no small feat, I think, for organizations that have done things a certain way for a period of time and to come in and say, all right, guys, um, let's change some things. Um, maybe change, change everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, that, I think that's why more organizations aren't doing it is because it requires leaders that have some courage that are willing to be vulnerable and say, Hey, we know we're not getting this right right now and we want to get it better. And that I'm willing to, to lean into that. And we're willing to admit when we screw it up. And, and so that's a, you know, that has to start at the top. And that's why a lot of organizations 
pay lip service to engagement Mm -hmm. and they like doing a survey because it makes them, you know, it's like owning a gym membership, but not using it all that much. It makes you feel like you're investing in your health, but you're not actually getting healthier. And -hmm. there's a lot of that going on. So I think until you're willing to do the work, um, but if you are, you can do some exceptional things. I mean, I talked to some companies um, in the research for my book that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how they're doing it. And they've got, it, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's possible. You just have to have some courage and be willing to do some things differently. Could you, would, would it be fair to say that the, the, the task of, of creating that experience of, of, of getting all of this done is impossible if, um, if the executives, the, the, the top of the company really don't care? or aren't as invested, or like you said, just paying lip service. Is, is that a fair statement to say that it is impossible <laughs> to be successful at this on a company-wide level if the top management aren't, aren't fully on board? I don't think it's impossible at a team level. I mean, you can create as in, you know, I kept that very much in mind as I was writing the book and as I talked to people, you know, when I'm speaking or when I'm writing is that organizationally, can you transform an organization without leadership being bought in? No. No, I mean, if you're, if you're a CEO, if you're really passionate about this and your CEO doesn't care about engagement and only just pretends to care because it seems like something he or she should do, um, then you need to find someplace else to do this work because you're not going to move the needle until they change. And so, and that's a hard project. But what I would say is as a manager or a leader of an organization, you can't fix some things about your organization, but you have tremendous power to create a different kind of experience within your organization. And that's what you should be focused on. Like create the very best experience for the people that you can impact because you can have a huge, maybe not perfect, but you can make it a whole lot better than it is for, for other people. And so that's where I think you can really have an impact if you're stuck in an organization that maybe at an executive level doesn't get it yet. Yeah, that's amazing, Jason. And as we wrap things up here, I just guess we'll ask you for some advice that you would have for these managers or these HR directors who are very much interested in making their environments a better place to work, but are afraid of the task. What, what are some basic or starter things that you could share with them to get started? I let's say start with um, I think I think don't be afraid go talk to people and ask them do a lot more do a lot more asking um, do a lot more listening and fix the things you can because it's amazing how a small thing can go an awful long ways when you show up if you're you know a leader and you go out and sit down with your people and say hey I really want to make this the best possible work experience every day for you. I want the team, I want it to be fun to work here. Like, what can we do? What's not working? Um, And listen. And same thing with HR. Go out and talk to people. Ask them what things. And sometimes there's going to be things you can't fix, right? If they say, well, we need to be paid more. It's like, I can't. Hmm. That's something that I can only impact so much. But then they'll say maybe little things that might have to do with the way their work is the way the work, their work is organized or maybe their scheduling and you have some impact over their schedule. You know, I've had people that said they're night owls and they, you know, they're up until one, two o'clock in the morning. They, they just don't function early in the morning. So I'm like, well, can you get here by 10? I mean, I don't care when you, you know, if you need to come into the work until seven, whatever works for you, I don't care. Just as long as you're getting the work done that, that one, that was a small thing on my end. I didn't really care. 
made a huge difference for them, right? So it's little yeah. things like that that I think go listen and then fix the things you can because when they start believing that you care and that you will take action when you can, that can change everything. Ah, such a powerful message. And thank you very much, Jason, for joining us today. What is the best way to find you? On my website, it's the easiest place to, to find it. If you go to jasonlortzen.com, um, if you're listening, it's L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N, but jasonlortzen.com, that's kind of where all my stuff is. My book's called Unlocking High Performance. If you Google that, you should be able to find that, or if you visit Amazon, um, it shouldn't be too hard to find. I try to be easy to find in my business. Listeners, we've been here with Jason Lawrence, and thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. 